No credentials. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone. Episode 61 is here. We're into uncharted waters here, Mike. Today we're discussing right. album number 61, which is Paid in Full by Eric B. and Rakim. Yeah, it's great to be back. Uh, thanks for being patient with us. We took a little bit of break after our last re-rank. And this is exciting because uh, we only got to album... And if, if you've been listening, you know this. We've talked about it a few times. We yeah. only got yeah. to album 60 when we did the 2012 list. And then in 2020, they did a new list and we started over again. So here we are back at 60 again. Uh, did we do it faster than the first 60? I think a little bit. I think so, because we were doing two per week there for a while. Um, yeah. Cranking a lot. through those earlier ones were a lot of repeats. Yeah, that's right. Ones we had already reviewed. This is a new one. Uh, the one that we haven't reviewed before. So we, before we start talking about our interactions with it, do you want me to give you some details on this album, Ben? I think uh, I think they're pretty important for this one. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, our listeners probably won't be surprised. This is not an album we're terribly <laughs> familiar with. You know that about us already, but yeah. uh, for those who don't, um, this, a lot of this will be new. So, uh, so yeah, I think we better start with some details. Perfect. Details, 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 details. Paid in Full was released July 7th, 1987, and this was the debut album for this uh, early pioneering hip-hop duo, Eric B. and Rakim. Just a little bit of background. Uh, Eric B. is the DJ, and Rakim is the MC. So all the lyrics you hear, I think close to 100% of the lyrics, excluding any samples, are Rakim. Just a little bit of background, Eric B. Uh, was doing a lot of turntable work uh, in the mid-80s at a radio station. He actually put an ad out in the paper because he was looking for a talented MC to join him and kind of kind of have a partnership because he, he wasn't an MC, but as you listen to the album, and I don't want to talk about it too much, he's quite talented, especially when I think, and I won't elaborate too much, just yet but you know nothing was digital yeah uh this is you know mid 80s everything was analog just a couple decks and and i guess the technology wasn't yet being created for djs who were scratching and doing this they were just using the decks that djs used at you know at a show just for spinning music and they were using those tools to create new sounds using it as a new instrument so the faders and the sliders and, and all this stuff and the scratching so i'm certainly not <laughs> an expert on the history of how <laughs> the turntable evolved and, right, and when right. it started and all that so i don't want to say any more because people will be just losing their minds with how much i'm getting wrong but this is early this is early stuff and he was a pioneer in terms of uh, DJing and mixing and doing all that stuff. So he needed a partner. He finds uh, Rakim and uh, they start doing stuff. So this was their first album. Uh, all songs were written and produced by Eric B. and Rakim. This is very different, even for the early stuff, because any of the hip-hop stuff we've done, Ben, even from the late 80s and early 90s, every song almost is different. A different producer, yeah. that people coming in and helping. Yeah. Hip-hop is all about the collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, and this uh, is just them. There's one other yeah. person who was involved, and I'll get to him in a minute. But this was... When I went on the wiki page and looked up, okay, who we got on every track, or what kind of names... All songs written and produced by Eric B. and Rakim. I was like, oh, I don't see that very often on a hip-hop yeah, album. Yeah, Another era, I guess. Yeah, the era. They call this the the golden age of hip-hop. This is right. You know, we've, we've done a couple other artists. Um, a Public Enemy mm -hmm. uh, was was in this time, and a few other artists that we've talked about. that Tribe Called Quest. Uh, they were a little, a little before them. A little before. Yeah. I think they were right around 1990, 91, yeah. where they really started going. This is before that. Yeah. Um, 
and all the other big names that came around 93, 94, like Dre, Snoop Dogg, yeah. uh, Biggie, uh, yeah, and Nas um, were all kind of 93, 94. So this is much, much before that. Uh, but but hip hop had been slowly growing uh, from the late 70s in this very infancy into the 80s. And, and now we get it into 87 here. So it charted, um, I pulled up the charts. So this is, I guess, Billboard, at least in the U.S. But it says, okay, so in 1987, so the in the U.K. albums chart, it went to 85. The U.S. Uh, top pop albums, it went to 58. Pretty good. And then we've got another, I don't know, I don't know how long this was a category. U.S. top black albums, number eight. <laughs> I mean, that's not a thing anymore, right? I don't know. I, I, let's click through and see. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a thing anymore. And I would have thought in 87 that it wouldn't have really been a thing. Like you had R&B charts, which was a different way of saying, you know, some, but it wasn't exclusive. This is like, I was just surprised to see that, I guess is what I'm saying. But anyways, yeah. went to yeah. number eight on, and this is Billboard, the U.S. top black albums. Okay. Hey, uh, Wikipedia was helpful. Okay. Um, okay. Yep. In 1965, uh, the the chart debuted as Hot R&B LPs, and then in '69 they renamed them uh, the R&B charts as the Soul charts. And in '78, then they shifted names again to Hot Black Singles for the singles and Top Black Albums, which is okay. it feels jarring to hear it put out that way um and yeah. then in, in 1990 so just a little after this album um they returned to the r&b designation uh okay r&b top r&b albums but it's making me remember I, f- I forget where this was from if this was something that was discussed in uh history of mock- rock music in, in 500 songs uh andrew hickey's incredible podcast but this idea of separation of music was because black artists were getting too popular. And so the music industry created these separate pathways so that they didn't have to put black artists on the pop charts. Uh, Ray Charles, I think, is uh, sort of one of the names that gets brought up frequently where his music is selling just as well as the white people music. So we better move him over here so that people don't get confused and buy this music. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, in some ways calling it top black albums is less racist because then at least you're not trying to hide behind this, <laughs> this like yeah. uh, no, se- you're right. segregation of um, of what it actually is here. Uh, and you know, R and B is a genre too. So I, you know, and but who knows? Maybe we wouldn't have that uh, uh, classification if not for the racism in in the United States of America and, and the way that it continues in subtle ways to exist and be present. And I know there have been many times through through. Uh, culture and cultural important cultural moments that you know i'm not saying that there's i think it's bad or wrong to say that it's black and there's been many times where african-american people have said no we want to celebrate that we're black celebrate our blackness i certainly support that i was i guess i was just a little surprised to see that and you use that word segregation i was surprised to see that designation from an album from 1987 like oh I, I know that racism, you know, didn't die and hasn't died. However, on the mainstream in these big charts, I was surprised to see the right. name there uh, right. because I don't think it's something that I remember us coming across. But we haven't yeah. done a lot of, uh, I guess I'll say, uh, black albums from kind of in the 80s. We've done a few, but some of them have been so huge that they were like I wouldn't have even said the number because they were not, you know, if right. it's like right. Thriller or right. um, Purple Rain, I would have just said, well, it went to number one, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I probably wouldn't even look at the other one. This one, because it didn't hit those, I just kind of caught me as just stuck out in my mind. So, yeah, yeah. thanks for looking that so up. That clears that up a little bit, but it's interesting. Muddy's the water, too. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is a, a messy, yep. <laughs> yeah, messy space for sure. Yep. But uh, it's there. And yep. um, <laughs> uh, it was on that chart. So number eight, that's pretty good for, yeah. for uh, one, a relatively new genre, hip hop, and two, a, a debut release. Um, yep. Pretty cool. So it did okay. 
uh, was really big, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in the hip-hop world, was huge, and of course went on to influence many, many, many people, um, and is still heralded as one of the best. It's uh, As of today, it's certified platinum in the U.S., so that's a million, so over a million copies in the U.S. A couple notes, so once... Eric B. Uh, met Rakim, kind of recruited him through an ad. They used Marley Marl's home studio. So we heard, you know, you, you hear uh, Biggie in one of his first songs talking about listening to Marley Marl. So he was an early producer and rapper. He had a home studio. So they released their first single, uh, Eric B. is president, from this home studio. And that was before, that was like a year before the album came out. They just did the one single. That came out on the radio, and Russell Simmons, who was founder of Jeff Jam, he heard it. And right away, he contacted them and signed them to Island Records. And then moved them to a studio, and that's where, to Powerplay Studios in Manhattan in 87. And that's when they did the rest of the album. So this is one of the, we've, this happens a few times uh, that we've talked about. But this is an instance where the first single on the album was before they had done any of the other songs. <laughs> you don't get the album without that single. Exactly. You release the single just because you have it. With and the then hopes. someone comes and says, hey, we want to do an album with you. And yeah. put it on the album. So, so interesting. Rakim reportedly wrote the songs in about an hour while listening to the beat. So uh, Eric B. had put down the beats. And then he just he just rapped over them. And he wrote it in an hour. <laughs> wow. So uh, supposedly he, when he got in the studio, he just had it on a paper and kind of read off it. I think I read somewhere that he, he got a, a lot more, um, I guess, polished uh, uh, continuing his career. Um, and the whole album was recorded in a week, <laughs> which is just Amazing. tremendous. Now, when you've only got two people... I guess you you have an ability to do that, and if he had already, you know, if Eric B had already laid down the beats or figured out what he wanted, then I guess it wouldn't have taken that long. Yeah, uh, which is amazing. Um, so the album comes out; it, it was successful, and the success led to a contract with um, MCA Records, and then their next album was on MCA Records. It has influenced many people. Uh, the one person I, I thought was interesting, 50 Cent, said that it was the first album that he bought. Uh, huh. And he he borrowed a funny thing. He he would he borrowed his his grandma's I think it was his grandma's tape recorder that she used to record sermons at church, and he recorded. <laughs> rap music off the radio and would play it back and listen to it and then when he went out and bought an album this was the first one he bought so uh, it has influenced many 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 hip-hop artists and acts throughout the years but he was the one that i thought was interesting kind of stood out to me. i feel like i'm speaking out of some ignorance here but i i know there's been some um bad blood throughout uh, the history since this album was made between marley marl and the um, the group right. because he claims yeah. to have created some of this at least in the way that producers create in in um, in this genre. Uh, I don't know that anyone knows the final <laughs> word on on where that all lies, but I, I think the the group continues to express that that's not deserving. He's not a creator of this content. Um, it's interesting. I I saw on. Spotify, you know, he is credited. I guess that would probably be because of vocal performance on a few a few tracks. But uh, he he really does feel like he deserves more credit than than has been given. And I think I think that's interesting to point out. We've had that come up a few times, I guess, and as we move through this this list of records, uh, you know, that who who created what is always a little bit tricky to pin down sometimes. <laughs> and I'm trying to find it. I can't, there were two songs that Marley Morrow claimed that he produced and should have had a, a production credit. And uh, Eric B. and Rakeem kind of, I don't want to say brushed it off, but their argument was that he helped engineer it. He's credited uh, as, yeah. as being, uh, as remixing or, or being involved in that side of it. Uh, they said, no, he didn't, he didn't produce it. He, uh, <laughs> he just helped mix it and engineer it. So, I, I don't know if that has ever been totally resolved. I don't know if it led to a lawsuit 
particularly, but yeah, he did claim that he he was he was a producer, and they uh, they have refuted that <laughs> that claim. So yeah, I think there's been a bit of bad blood. Yeah, I have no idea what their relationship, but you got to think he's like, listen, I let you guys, you, you know, you did you did your first <laughs> your first single in my. Yeah. studio like maybe he yeah. just wants more credit for kind of the whole thing in general but not really having a legal or or written claim to it but kind of going yeah. hey throw me a bone here so i can't speak to any of that personal but yeah there has been there has been a little bit of stuff uh <laughs> which has kind of been constant with many of the hip-hop albums we've looked at yeah. especially especially uh, and other albums as well not just hip-hop but a lot of hip-hops especially with the sampling now the sampling's mm-hmm. not an issue here and i think that they i don't think anything has come up from the sampling um uh, but that in the early days of hip-hop people started because they were just taking samples and not citing them or right. giving any credit to them or even noting them just like that right. sounds really right. cool we'll take that yeah um, <laughs> and then eventually people are like hey uh you're using my art my product to make money that's not okay yeah <laughs> if you listen you know uh, hip-hop is not our genre it's not what we're familiar <laughs> with it's not what we grew up with so what i lack is a lot of the knowledge and the history Marley Marl, it's really just from the, I think, uh, Juicy by Biggie. That's how I knew the name. Um, oh, I, yeah. I know that song, and we've reviewed that album, and that's something that I've um, listened to and recognized from when I was younger. So I knew the name, but I had no idea who he was or what he did. Yep. Um, and then I'm seeing it again here. So obviously, I know he's an important person yeah. in this genre and important to those early acts that came out of the late 80s and early 90s. The album cover is exactly what I would expect from a late 80s hip-hop duo. (laughs) Um, And that's not a negative or critical, but in my mind, whatever my idea of what a group looks like, that's what they look like. So uh, first, uh, uh, the the excerpt I took said, the cover features a photo of Eric B. and Rakim wearing custom-made Gucci knockups by Harlem Taylor Dapper Dan. So I can't really see their clothing, but I can see the the massive gold chains, like chain links, <laughs> like huge, with massive yeah. gold medallions, which was very common at the time. And then uh, uh, Eric B has almost like a beret. It looks like a beret on. And this is, I know that he. I think early as a teen uh, converted to the Muslim faith. I don't oh, okay. think he grew up in a Muslim family. Um, that's why I say converted, uh, but I might be wrong there. So that's that's part of it. I feel when I look at that, I see kind of some of the some of the groups and more slightly militant movements mm-hmm. in the U.S. I, I feel like that's a familiar look with the beret. Um, so I think uh, to me that channels a bit of that. Uh, as well, if we talked many times about the the culture of wealth um, and how that has been a big part of of hip hop music, and we see here now we'd say green screen, but the background <laughs> yeah. of of the behind them is just an overlay of of um, money, you know, U.S. Do- yeah. money, you know, hundred dollar bills and twenty dollar bills, and then in their hands they've got huge stacks of cash. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rakeem's kind of got it fanned out, just huge bundles, and then uh, Eric B's kind of got it, well, kind of balled or rolled up in his hands. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So it's it's this idea of wealth and um, affluence, uh, kind of that classic rags to riches, which is such a huge part of many of these hip hop acts coming from nothing, living in the ghettos, going to like having you know these gold chains and all this money, which and you've talked about this before, which is interesting because at this time. They wouldn't have had any of that. Right, right. Like they they had not, they weren't famous yet. Same uh-huh. with Biggie, you know, with the all the Biggie all the the stories he tells about all this <laughs> extravagance. He didn't have it yet when he made his right. first album. Yeah. So um it's it's like it's so striving for it or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's that's the goal, that's the persona too that we want to portray and really what right. we want to get to. And I guess maybe if you act like you're comfortable with it, maybe that tells people that you're you deserve to be there too. I don't know. Maybe there's like a uh, charisma that comes when you when you put on yeah. that facade. Uh, 
Yeah, it's really sure. interesting. Uh, I always find there's different design choices I, mm-hmm. that I find interesting. And to me, on this one, I, I love the picture. I think the picture is great. Mm-hmm. I think it, it would have been, you know, just absolutely dynamite when it came out. Um, the text I don't get. <laughs> Top yeah. right corner, it says Eric B. and Rakim, but it's in gold. And yeah. I get using the color gold, except it's on top of white thin, and green. You can barely see it. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even see. Like I can barely see Eric. And then Rakim, it it covers half of his head. Like it's it's going over top of his head. <laughs> I just don't get it. And then paid in full is down on an angle at the bottom, kind of on their torsos and arms, and it's in red. <laughs> And even then, you can't, like, you can't really see it. So I just, we've yeah. talked about this before, and I know I'm being a little nitpicky, but some of these, I mean, you're going to release an album that's going to sell millions of copies potentially. Who's 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 laying out these albums? The design of it. <laughs> I was just talking with a friend about Avatar for some reason, and he mentioned that uh, the designer of the movie poster got in a little bit of hot water when someone pointed out that they just copied papyrus the sort of free font from uh, you know any any word processor that you could use right. and, um, sometimes when i look at these vintage album covers i just think i wonder if there was just like 15 fonts that they had to choose from and that was it like it was just an era when you know you you just had a few choices and especially in the early days of kind of computer use right. and graphic design that yes. may have just been the limitations of the machine to, I, to, to yeah. do what's what we're seeing here to to take something like a photo and put money behind them it's probably like whoa like, oh, i can't believe you did that uh yeah. oh shoot now we got to put text in here well uh okay we've got these choices uh, what color do you want and that's it you know um no one was uh digitally I mean, creating a font for them um but I mean, there's, there's. If I'm a designer, there's so many <laughs> options. Like you could have, you could have put a border around it and put it yeah. in the border. You could have, yeah, I guess. You could have made it. You could have made where it's gold. You could have made that black. Could it and, just feels and, like an afterthought, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. you know, we talked about um, Talking Heads, uh, Remain in Light. Yes. And the cover of that one is their faces with like red painted, and that was like yeah. one of the first computer. And this is like what. 1981 or 80 and they it took them like it was like a huge room full of processors to like do what I could do in 30 seconds on Microsoft Paint right now um, to get this like advanced and artistic image you know and you know now we're seven years later I imagine there was you know someone at the record company or or a design firm that they contracted who said oh we can do this so there's this void between doing things the old-fashioned way which was you know cut and paste and and all these uh practical techniques fast forward to kind of really good graphics that we can do now or certainly in the 90s when we get into pcs and things like that there's a void in the middle where it's like well we can do this now let's do it it's like the yeah. early animated movies like before Toy Story. It's like, you can do it, but should you? <laughs> because it looks awful. And I, that's what I get. I just some We talked about some of the layouts, especially some of the box sets yeah. in the early 90s where the design layout is just, as you would say, totally bonkers. Um, <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense to me in terms of design. Right, right. And this is another one where I love the picture. I don't have any problem with the bills, but the text is like, what are you doing? You know? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, as often when we ramble on too long about album covers, it gives me time to Google what the rest of the package looks like. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, I always forget that part. The back cover is kind of a mess, too. Um, they chose to have 
the jersey that they're wearing on the front or the shirt, whatever okay. that is, yeah. with piles of cash and jewelry, which all that fits with the theme that they're going through. But then they put their crew kind of in the bottom corner, uh, a, an image that is deserving of like full album size, but they shrunk it all down just to like put their guys... Uh, you know, on the cover in some way. They're all also yeah. like posing with some jewelry, and one guy's got a pager on his hip, which uh, is really funny. That, that uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that uh, calls back to another era. But again, it feels like uh, go with either the pile of stuff or the picture of your crew. Like, don't try and smush all that in there. Uh, it just looks forced and, and awkward. But you know, we're also talking about guys who get an a single turned into an album made really quickly so maybe it is yeah. just like that they slapped this together really fast uh. <laughs> yes. I, I, and again i don't i want to talk about the music i don't want to harp on it but i mean it's when we think about an album yeah that's such an important part of it yeah and this was still 87 so i think we would have released uh would have been on cd and cassette as well uh, but was on vinyl so yep. you're still releasing in vinyl so you've got this massive 12 by 12 piece of artwork mm-hmm. i don't know i didn't want to put a yeah. little more thought into yeah. it anyways uh it's exactly how i think the i mean we've talked often about album covers that don't fit the music this this vintage hip-hop fits this cover so well despite 100%. it's like graphic shortcomings uh, man, you look at that picture and you think, okay, I think I know what I'm getting into. You press play yeah. and sure enough, yep, there it is. <laughs> like I, I can guess the year, um, you know, like I could, yeah, yeah. you know, I could probably guess the year. I know, I know yeah. what year it is, but, uh, you know, it's like, I know it tells me exactly what, what I'm in for, which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. which is fantastic. Um, so let's get into the music, uh, classic 10 tracks. Okay. Yep. Um, and I think before we start, we know that this was was new to both of us. Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard any of it before, and I think the same case for you. And and I don't think I'd even heard of this group before we started this list. Are same. you in the same? Yeah, yep. yeah. So I hadn't same. hadn't even heard of them, and I feel guilty about that. Although not too guilty because it's it's not my genre of expertise. Um, but I want to say that when I started it, the first track starts with just a just a beat, just just a bass and a snare uh, beat. That uh, it's digital, but it, it's a, it's a beat, and it's so it just is like transports me back to that time with those beats. <laughs> and we talked uh, we talked about how certain types of music become like a caricature. Yeah. I listen to this, especially that opening beat, and it's hard for me to think this was revolutionary, this was fresh, because in the next five to ten years, it did become a caricature of, a musical yeah. caricature of, of what this was. You know, everybody's, you know, pretending to try and beatbox and do that yeah. beat. You know, uh, <laughs> white kids in kindergarten, like, okay, we're going to make a rap today. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and but this is this is like revolutionary number one super fresh number two and like uh it also to me just embodies that whole golden age and golden era yeah um so i really just turning it on i felt although i'm not familiar with it it did feel a little familiar Mm -hmm. it's like okay i was young but i remember this i remember when this was uh cutting edge and new and uh a big deal yeah yeah you're right there is something about the sound that really places it i immediately thought of uh what was the cosby spinoff called was it a different world where they like go off to college or denise goes off to college and like they're oh the the needle of the fashion just like goes like from zero to 60 it's like all really vibrant loud colors um (laughs) and there's always this like kind of slight hip-hop track in the background especially in larger group scenes and party scenes and um and yeah it's a, it immediately transports me I, I i'm assuming that show came out i don't have the numbers in front of me uh you know several years after this album came out but it was something they were throwing back to or that sound like you said it permeated so far that it was just when you want to convey uh you know <laughs> cool hip-hop culture 
then you need something like this in this ballpark. And uh, hmm. Interesting. it's fascinating. I, I find it really fascinating as we're getting into the music here, how much um, instrumental stuff there is here. How many of the tracks have long breaks without any rapping? And there's even a track or two that's just instrumental. Um, yeah. Chinese arithmetic, at least, is one. And maybe there's yep. a couple others. Uh, Eric, but Eric B is on the cut. The second yeah, one is just, yeah. it's just him spinning. I feel like artists would feel like they were giving something away if they put that on an album now. Because in some ways, you're inviting another artist to rap over it, right? Um, th- this seems so raw and... and oblivious to what is to come uh that they would be so bold to just like you know we're gonna make beats for a while and then just put that on the album like that maybe it's the pace that this was recorded but it's really fascinating to me uh what that tells us about that particular moment in time and and how much things have changed since then and interesting about that uh we talked about a website uh, which is great especially when listening to hip-hop called who sampled and you can Google any song, or not Google, sorry, because it's a different website. You can ser- search any song. <laughs> you can search any yeah. song, um, and it'll tell you all the samples. And when you go into this, uh, you know, any song on this album, pretty much any song, there's each one has maybe one, two, or three samples that they have taken. And then you look at the the list of songs that have sampled these songs. Okay. Each each track is like somewhere between two and four hundred songs that have used these songs as samples. From I'd say nineteen eighty eight, uh, I sorted it by uh, by chronologically, and every year there's probably about twenty. So it's not like five years later they're going, oh here's a here's a throwback. No, people started using it right away. Uh, I think because it was so raw, so fresh, so new. Um, and so much about the about the spinning. I, I think a big part of this, a lot of a lot of the hip hop we've listened to, has so much to do with the MC. Yeah, and this one to me is is based around the DJ. Like uh, the MC Rakim is heralded as one of the best MCs ever and one of the godfathers of of rapping. Hundred percent, totally agree. Yet I feel the foundation of this, like uh, Eric B went out and sought out an MC to complement his cutting. Mm. And it's so groundbreaking. You listen to the stuff he's doing and I'm listening to it with the limited knowledge I have of the technology thinking he didn't have any, he had no computer screens, he had no (laughs) cut and paste, nothing. Like it's all just what he's able to do with those two decks and, and the whatever switches and dials and i think you can you you know you can save i don't know if you could save a few things on there i don't know if you could i think yeah. it's all just happening live right it's yeah. like yeah pretty incredible what he could do uh with this relatively new instrument and how quickly people gravitate to that and started using that yeah. in their music like right away uh some of them you know if you even by 1990, I bet you there's 60 to 80 songs that have sampled it. Yeah, that's uh, incredible. And and the the lyrics are good. Um, there's some real dynamite ones. One of my favorites. Uh, Thought it was a donut. You tried to glaze me. I think that's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of surprised when I heard that one. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Uh, Eric B is president is the the track that landed them the deal is that right yeah that's yeah. right uh-huh. and it, it's got a very familiar sample under it too which I'm having a hard time putting my finger on what exactly is going on there but I, I found like that made that one familiar sample made me wonder is this the the song that I know or am I just hearing their rendition of something that is frequently used in right hip hop music and uh, you know the, that sort of blurring of of history I think is really interesting especially in this genre. We, we've talked a little bit about uh, language in hip-hop, too, and uh, this is relatively clean. I, uh, maybe this came before the explicit language sticker, but there's no there's no cover image with explicit language on it, and in fact, most of the songs, at least as I listen to them, are relatively clean. They're not yeah. dropping a lot of uh, 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 PG language in there, and, uh, and, and that's really fascinating, uh, just in terms of the way that the 
the genre has shifted. I think I assumed because of the 80s hip hop sound that it'd be pretty straightforward all the way through, but I was pleasantly surprised at the ways the sound changed um, through this hurriedly formed album. And, and the one that I found maybe the most fascinating was Chinese arithmetic. Now that the name may be a little problematic. I don't know exactly what they mean by that, but there's like pouring <laughs> liquid used sampled over yes. and over again in that yes, track I that is that. just so fascinating to me i don't know if they're wanting to instill like the idea of like tea being poured at a chinese restaurant or something like that but uh that liquid sound uh felt so different and it's so, like something i would hear a, a more modern artist uh incorporate like i, I think there's a, a bonnie bear song where they use bottle caps fizzing and being clicked off as like their their click track in one song right and, uh, okay <laughs> you know that that sort of thing feels like much more modern than the 1980s uh, but but again maybe i'm speaking out of ignorance here <laughs> uh, i found that really interesting uh yeah i'm glad you mentioned that about the lyrics um but chinese arithmetic too i think I think it uses that uh, that scale that oh yeah yeah um, and I found that interesting again we heard that in the Wu-Tang yeah um, so much of their image and persona was based around their love of of kung fu movies mm -hmm. and that seems to be something popular in in black culture at that time was was these old Chinese movies and Chinese culture, Kung Fu culture and all this stuff was yep. was popular in their culture too, which I, I still haven't totally researched and find fascinating, but I think they're they're playing yeah. on that a little bit, you know, years before. Um, right. and, and they have lyrically, I'm glad you brought that up because I noticed that as well. A very clean, like even not even any overly mature lyrical content uh, outside of, you know, cuss words or even the N-word. I don't think they yeah. use. No, I don't think so at all. Which is interesting. Public Enemy, a lot of their lyrics, and that I think it's the same year, 86 or 87, their lyric, or it might have been 88, their lyrics, some of them are, are politically poignant, but still not uh, overtly obscene, you know, not uh, cursing. I think even the N-word is, is used quite sparingly yeah. on that um, Takes the Nation of Millions album. Yeah, we hear that and, and how quickly that changes in the early 90s. Tribe Called Quest, not so bad, but then you get into 93, 94 with some of the other acts we talked about, and it's just riddled throughout. Um, it's just a part of the, the language and, and the way that they convey their, their message and their art. Uh, but yeah, we don't get any of that here. Um, very clean. I, it's refreshing because I can, I mean, my kids are getting a little older, but still I try and uh, sensitive when I'm playing music. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I have, you know, I have no problem putting this on. I think one of the last albums we listened to was like, nope, can't, can't nope, can't play that in the house. <laughs> and your kids are much younger, so I'm sure. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> but this, no, like, no problem. No problem, you know, yeah. Which is, which is nice, which is just having young kids around is nice um, to be able to do that and makes it, at least for me and maybe other people, you know, a little more, a little more accessible. Um, I know we both struggled with uh, the Wu Tang, aggressive, aggressive kind of posturing and, and language. Uh, yeah, hard, hard to like. I, I felt attacked, like hard to listen to. Yeah, just so <laughs> abrasive. Um, you know, just like it was just oppressive almost to listen to that, and very challenging for me uh, to to just take it at face value this obviously I didn't have that challenge so that that's a personal thing in terms of where i'm coming from i think where you're coming from too but that, yeah. but that made this just a little more easier for me to digest uh, as i listen to it they mentioned more than once the seven mcs and i tried to search that up and i couldn't find anything but talk about these seven mcs that they're kind of battling or that are <laughs> if they're feuding and i couldn't um couldn't figure out if those are actual people or if it's another group or yeah yeah <laughs> some something cryptic that maybe people who are who are closer to them um might know but i uh, i don't know what that is yeah <laughs> but the other times where where uh an artist or act will reference uh an adversary but we know who it is like yeah like, well, yeah because they had a they had a public feud with this person and we know this is who they're talking about but i i couldn't quite figure this one out yeah <laughs> seven yep. mcs 
If you've listened to us before, you know that we have a playlist on Spotify called Sound Logic Favorites. Every time we review an album, we put uh, two tracks. Uh, when it's just Ben and I, and we don't have a guest, we each pick one. So, Ben, do you have a favorite here? Um, I think the the one that made my ears perk up the most on the initial listens was the third track, My Melody. Um, yeah, there's like a, a kind one. of minor key and something weird with a xylophone in there too. And uh, I, I like it. I, I like it a lot. I remember listening to that and I knew that I saw the title of it and hearing him talk about My Melody. And halfway through the, so- the song, I'm thinking, there, there's only a beat. There's no, <laughs> there's no melody. Line. There's no <laughs> melody. It, there is one later on, but yeah. I was like... And the intro, well, I guess, too. But, either yeah. he's, either they've missed something, or he's trying to be very ironic. But yeah. what they do, <laughs> there is the melody later on because his his uh, his emceeing is is monotone too. So yeah, I thought that was funny. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the uh, the opening track. Uh, I ain't no joke. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Which it, I, I I love. I just love the way it starts. I love mm-hmm. I love the beat. Um, I love the. Um, the posturing we talked about the posturing in hip-hop music uh how important that is what a big part of of the the lyrics and the artwork uh but i like the posturing without feeling like you're you're attacking me mm-hmm. <laughs> with it yep. like, uh I, I didn't know that's part of it but at the same time it's like oh you don't have to be mean about it <laughs> Just, yeah right just tell just you know if you're all you think you're all that tell me you're all that you don't have to put me down but i know that's part of you know the rap battles and the dissing the diss tracks but um but i did like that um there is that uh posturing and um i i guess i'll give uh an honorable mention to to paid in full which is the title track where they they talk about like their 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 crew like they list you know our promoters this person, oh yeah yeah go through they go find their crew which I thought was kind of cool um, but yeah I ain't no joke opening track that's my pick I like it okay so let's first talk about relevancy hip hop is still uh, a huge genre elements of hip hop and rap music are in every other genre from uh, from dance to rock to country. Yeah. today it's uh permeated every aspect of of modern music this is the early stages of hip-hop when it was still young and new and so different than anything else so is this still relevant today what do you think ben my hunch uh is that folks who listen to this who are really interested in this genre feel similarly to how our kids probably feel when they listen to the Beatles like okay this is interesting music it sounds old to me it sounds good but it sounds old and um I, I'm assuming that's what it's like I don't actually know anyone who listens to this music but uh or I, I probably do I just don't know uh, it still feels historically important and relevant um but in a more time capsule way like to know your roots and to know where the sound you're currently listening to comes from Right. Like DJing and mixing and all that. Uh, scratching, not so much today because the technology has changed, but scratching still happens and, and all and fading and, and all that stuff. So that part of it is still such a huge part of right. hip hop music and modern music. It's done a lot differently because the technology is advanced. But the need for that came out of this like, okay, we have this tool that we're using as an instrument that wasn't created for this but we really like it and we want to make it better so yep. you start creating decks and creating and then getting into the computer technology creating those programs to do what you couldn't do uh artists like eric b who who made this so revolutionary are the reason that that became because you're not going to create something you know and advance it if nobody's doing it or nobody's enjoying it so i think that's not only as a building block but people are still using decks and and doing that so that part of it yeah the emceeing uh not only is it still i think really good like it is an older style but it was starting to break just kind of the 
the the repeating patterns yeah he breaks some of those repeating patterns which was new um just instead of just doing repeating that which was yeah. you know the hip-hop of the late 70s and early 80s he's starting yep. to yep. to bend that a bit which you hear in the 90s a lot with guys like Nas really um playing with the the timbre of it and the, the tempo of it and the and the syncopation of it so uh that coupled with how many of the really big names in the 90s who cite this uh, Rakim as influencing them and them kind of uh, being inspired by him. And then now they're, you know, we've moved from a lot of those people are not in the game anymore or or not in the spotlight anymore. And there's a whole new group of hip-hop artists that are big now. So it's almost like the third or fourth generation past this. I think it's still a really big deal. So that's a long way for me to say yes <laughs> i think it's still <laughs> both sides of it i mean there's two guys who do two different things yeah uh you got a, a dj and an mc and i think yeah. yeah both of their uh the way that they use their talents here is is still relevant and has was a huge part of the building block to what the genre is today and yep. how it's how it's been infused into every other genre yep yeah exactly this is number 61 on the list a huge jump up from 2003 it was 227 coffee table book 223 and 2012 was 228 so it was just kind of in that 225 area now it jumps up here to 61 so uh over 150 spots way up uh with many other hip-hop albums that were kind of in the moving to kind of the bottom end of the list, you know, in the 200s, 300s, 400s are now up here in the top 50 or top 100. Yeah. So it's 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 following the pattern of a lot of other albums. Uh, like we've already done Equemini, which was uh, 49 on this list, up from number 500. It was the last right. album on the list. Yep. <laughs> Leapfrogging uh, the other Outcast album. Yeah, or one of the other Outcast albums on this list, which is now sixty-four, which we're going to talk about very soon. Yeah. So, uh, a little bit of background there. Uh, what do you think about the ranking, Ben? Does that sound logic to move this all the way up here? Well, we mentioned at the start that this wasn't an album we'd ever even heard of before, and to me, this feels like a pick more for its influence and historic significance than for a legacy of greatness. I'm starting to see a distinction between those two things. You know, um, uh, Velvet Underground and Nico comes to mind right away of like, you know, so influential, but who's actually really listening to that still today? Um, and I feel like that's probably the case with Paid in Full. It's a great album that I'm sure has like classic hip hop fans who bought it when they were young and are still listening to it today. But I don't think that you know you're not hearing these songs on repeat on yeah. on the radio so i mean not that anyone really listens to the radio but <laughs> all that aside like I, I i i think um i think the correction this list made to include more african-american artists also means that they corrected um in, in my mind in a sort of unfortunate way by by doing what they used to do for white artists and pulling kind of a little bit more obscure titles up higher just for their influence and i think that's different than an album yep. actually being great uh yeah so yeah i i think this feels high in my mind too too close to the top um but maybe there'd be people with a whole lot more knowledge of the genre that would disagree with me maybe this is far more current uh, than i give it credit for and, and maybe it is far more popular than i am even aware too so i guess that's said with a grain of salt but but to me it feels high i agree with you that it feels a little high to me i think part of that's because i'm just not familiar with it which isn't totally fair and part of that is because um I agree with you on that this to me feels like more like a building block album yeah than one that's really something that's familiar yep so that brings us back to our question that we've asked many times what is great what yep. is greatness yep and so if this is an album that is great because of what it uh, inspired then yes and I think that's why it's here 
which is important. And if many of the people who are voting, if that's how they actually created the list, which I'm, everybody knows I'm a little skeptical about, uh, I know that was part of it, but I don't believe that was all of it. Yeah. Um, if it's artists and people in the industry who are familiar with the influence, who are voting for it, then it makes sense. Uh, so yeah. I do think it's a little high, but I think that has more to do with my lack of familiarity with it and the genre and everything came after yeah. than uh, whether it's actually great or not. So yeah. I'm always a little surprised. Again, I'm not a music expert, but I'm always a little surprised on a list like this to see something that I've never even heard of. I've right. never even heard of the band. It's like when on the first list when we got to um, uh, Forever Changes by Love at number 40. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this Ooh. is the 40th best album. I've never even heard of the band. Like, this, right. what's going on here? You know, there are reasons that yeah. it's there. Yeah. I just don't know them yet. So I think mm-hmm. I'm in the same situation. So I'm going to say yeah. feels high to me, but I don't think that's fair. So <laughs> I'll just uh, plead ignorance. <laughs> Good idea. Uh, this is the only album. Uh, on the top 500 list, any iteration of this list uh, by Eric B and Rakeem. So we're one and done with them. So maybe it's okay that they're a little higher because uh, <laughs> there's no other albums. They did other albums, but uh, this is the only one on the list. So, so that's it. Thank you, Eric B and Rakeem for yeah. this uh, great music. Yep. Um, and of course, if you're interested, certainly check. We hope that maybe before you listen to an episode you you listen to some of the music on right. the album i know you don't always have time for that and that's cool but it helps but certainly the, if if this was interesting to you and you listen to some of it check out their other albums too because uh, uh, an influential and important group uh, but uh, but that's it for the list coming up next week uh, this doesn't happen a whole lot another album from a different genre from the same year <laughs> Yeah, and one that hasn't really moved at all, which is not usual for this new 2020 list. Um, this might be yeah. one of the one of the most stable, besides Pet Sounds. Um, we don't often see this where, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, an album stays relatively in the same spot. Uh, coming in at number 62, which had been 62 in the previous 2012 list and 61 in the previous ones before that, uh, Guns N' Roses classic classic rock album appetite for destruction (laughs) and and this was i think the day that the 2020 list came out was the day that we were going to record our review right right yeah and i had the we had the document you know ready our research was done we had listened to the album and we were we were going to sit down that night and record it and uh (laughs) it only took us uh, two years to get back to that point then (laughs) yeah so uh (laughs) So yeah, we got to listen to this album again. Uh, I won't make a comment on how I feel about that. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to wait till next week. Yep. Welcome to the jungle. Well, yeah, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the welcome to the jungle, sweet child of mine. <laughs> um, until that time, thank you once again for joining us here. We hope you continue to be well. You take care of yourselves and those around you, and we certainly hope that you'll join us again right here on the SoundLogic Podcast. Take care, everyone. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.